You're listening to Majestic Wisdom Podcast. I'm your host, Heather Sanderson, and each episode will be a co-creation with a special guest. Thanks for listening, and we're ready to get started now. I'm delighted to be here today with Amy Eberhardt. Amy is an artist, yoga teacher, Reiki practitioner, a budding herbalist, a registered massage therapist, and she worked as an integrative health specialist at a major New York City medical center, offering massage, Reiki, yoga, meditation to patients and caregivers. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. That's all true. Except I'm a licensed massage therapist. I think you have registered. Oh, licensed. Okay. Which is actually a, a more skilled category. So. Okay. Good. Canadian massage therapy is very high level. That's so interesting. I didn't know that. You Canadians. Yeah, it is. Actually, um, I was looking into it just out of curiosity. I was looking into it when I was, you know, getting licensed. And here, I, I don't know if it has to do with socialized medicine. I don't know enough about it. But in the States, you become licensed. And I'm licensed in New York State. And then you can become licensed and, you know, in the whole country, which is what my plan is now that I live in Massachusetts. And then you practice and there's codes and ethics and it's a hard test and all that stuff. So there, there's rigor. But then in Canada, it's almost like maybe they take it more seriously. But well, that would explain why when I was looking for an RMT, I couldn't find one. In the state. In, in New York, yeah. You can't because they're in They don't exist. They're all in Canada. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's perfect because what I wanted to start off with today was asking you about your starting point in massage therapy and like what drew you to that? Well, my starting point in massage therapy is when I was about nine years old and I went to sleepaway camp. Um, it was a sleeping ca uh, camp tranquility, which was not tranquil. Um, my dad went there. It was like, I grew up hearing stories about it. So I went and, but then I realized like in hindsight, my dad's stories were about how he ran away from it. <laughs> Stressful camp. But one thing that I found comfort in and always have found comfort in is physical contact, like connection physically. Um, in fact, like even going back further, probably in my family of origin, the, the kind of most peaceful, least fraught, easiest connection was always physical. So for me, like physical, which is different than sexual or um, sensual. It's just like where you're, which it can be sensual, but like physically connected with another human being. And I've always had like my hands are tingling as I'm talking about it. Like I've always felt connection through touch and a really pure, unscrewed up, not... My family and touch were just like, there weren't issues, you know, like a lot of people's families are, unfortunately, a lot of people are. And my family was just pure. And we had our Michigan, our crazy stuff, Michigan is Yiddish, but like we had our crazy stuff was all around um, like attunement emotionally and whatever and trauma and all that stuff. But like once we touched, everything was like, you knew everyone's okay. Like mm. I would hold my dad's hand, I would hug my mom, my dad and I would roll around and play. So the physicality was always pure. So then I got to this camp where I was really unhappy. And the, my, my memory of happiness there is I had this really sweet counselor, Ellen, and uh, I would massage her, her shoulders. Like, you know, there's always a little kid who's like, dude, to the counselor and whatever. So I was that kid. And it made me feel 
connected. It made me feel at home. It made me feel good in like my tummy ache went away. My homesickness went away when I was just like doing this. And, um, and then I kind of always had it in my mind that I wanted to be a massage therapist, but then a woman of a certain background and a certain class, et cetera, et cetera, and education and whatever, like a nice Jewish girl from um, immigrant grandparents who were, had been like on my father's side, very religious and like almost like fundamentalist level of religiousness. Like you don't go and be a massage therapist. You don't mm. like go to a two-year college program and touch other people for money. If you're, you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah, yeah. So unfortunately, I was handicapped by my stupid background. God bless it. But like, you know, I got a really good. You had to have the education. You were supposed to go into a profession, probably be a, like a teacher, like a professor, and get a PhD. And so I went that route a lot with a lot of things. But, you know, never was really my bliss. And then I thought my bliss would be art. But it turns out really art, this is a long answer. Is, That's okay. I love it. Um, Keep going. But it's even in my astrological chart, like art and art making is just what I'm supposed to do for joy. I'm not supposed to do it for money. So, of course, that hit a dead end. And then I came back to, I was just working in a doctor's office, like kind of in the healthcare universe. And um, the, the office closed. And then I went and I got my master's in public health because okay. I thought I would 100% sell out and just um, do health administration and make a lot of money. And so staying it. on that path that you were taught like, to be on. I'm going to be good and right. the monies. And it wasn't about yeah. the money. It was about the like social service like giving back you had to okay. give back you had to be educated it's very like liberal new york jewish love you whatever and so i did that and everyone's proud of me etc then i got the master's degree then i did a really kind of challenging challenging job that was too hard and then i decided to end and i had a little money i'd sold an apartment i was in rob and i got married we were living in Brooklyn, there was a little bit of a cushion and I took a sabbatical. I just took some time off. And what I did in that time off was I did yoga. And this is 2007, 6, 2006, 7. I did yoga and I got really good therapy. Excellent, excellent, excellent therapy. Did yoga, ate whole foods, like put on weight, just like lived this life that was just like, I'm just going to be in my body and live. So I did that. And then I studied um, therapeutic and restorative yoga. And every time I put my hands on people, they would say, oh, are you giving me Reiki? Hmm. And I was like, no, my hands just get warm when I touch human beings. Ding, ding. And oh, and even going back, like I lived in Colorado when I was younger. And I just couldn't like yet get up the courage until I was in my four, like late 30s, really early 40s to like do this thing that it was what I wanted to do also the culture evolved so by the time it was not this 80s anymore this 90s because I'm 55 I'm an elder with gray hair and the whole nine yards so by that time the culture had evolved and women had tattoos and were giving massage and it was not weird or it had to be about sex you know it was different so then I waited long enough and I was still healthy and sound and whatever and I knew all that yoga 
So then I said, well, I better learn how to do Reiki. If everyone thinks I'm doing Reiki, then I'll train the energy that's coming through me and it will be great. So then I learned Reiki. Then I um, went and studied Shiatsu at the Ohashi Institute. And then I finally just for about a year, there was this voice in my head that wasn't like a crazy voice. It was just every day. It would be like, so why don't you just um, go to massage school? Like, go to massage school. And I had listened to that voice that said, why don't you take a year off and do yoga? Take some time off and do yoga. And it turned out well. So then I thought, okay, this voice makes sense. And so I said no to it for a long time. I was like, I'm too old. But why don't you do it? Well, we don't have enough money. Oh, but look, Rob just got this great job and now you can. Oh, but you know, I don't know. And But now, so now you sold your apartment. Oh, now you have the money. Now you can do it. So finally it wore me down and I went to massage school. And that just started my whole wonderful um, career that went from about 2012 when I got my license through just this past March of 20 when the pandemic hit and, and everything changed for like so many people. So that was a long answer. Sorry. <laughs> I, lo I love the answer. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. It's interesting because what I hear there too is these competing paths almost and different belief systems that are we're kind of vying for your attention. And it sounds like you could do any and all of these things. Yeah. And um, I mean, that's the thing that it took me a long time. Like I was, I was really 42 before I really hit my stride as far as my career and what I wanted to do. And before that I was doing, I don't like, I look back and I just don't have judgment for it anymore. Like, you know, I was, I, I'm just a very um, creative being and I'm not saying it as like oh, I'm so creative and I'm special it's just like from when I was little it just like making stuff and creating stuff and doing stuff and creating systems and building things and working with my hands and it's just like poured out of me and you know I don't I don't think it's special anymore I think it's just the manifestation of nature that comes through me and if I don't make a big deal about it I have a lot of fun with it, you know, like, I just feel like it's resolved now. Like the other thing, so there's this Ram Dass quotation. I love quotations. Okay. And, and I love Ram Dass and Ram Dass, um, he just recently, they came out um, in this, I think, I don't know, maybe the Save Foundation or ramdass.org came out with the movie um, Becoming Nobody, I think it's called the Ram I think so. Yeah. 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 And the, and the quotation, um, of course, for him, he said it in some like very cool hipster way, but like very cool way. Um, but essentially it's, you have to be, you have to become somebody before you can be nobody. And then you're in nobody training to become nobody, but you have to be somebody first. And he was Richard Alpert. He, you know, reached the pinnacle of like, he had a plane and he had a car and he had a, a very impressive career and he had the PhD and he had the, all this stuff and the money and the everything, the status symbols. And I feel like I kind of had to do the equivalent of that for myself. Like I had to prove to myself and my dad who had passed away and he left in 2013, but I feel like he was kind of helping me, but because he was always like, how come you're not achieving your potential? 
as far as he's concerned, you know? Right. But so I feel like I had to do that. I had to do that for society. I had to do that so that when I go to a party, I can be like, hi, yes, my name is Amy. I'm the pediatric integrative health practitioner at the medical center. Um, I'm, I'm somebody. And I, and I needed that for my ego, for my background, for something needed that. And I did it. And I did it for almost seven years, which is like a magical time frame, you know? And I, and I became somebody and I became somebody doing something that gave me a lot of joy and a lot of pleasure and a lot of happiness and was wonderful, the work. And what was that it that was you were doing hard. at yeah. that time? So, I mean, I did a lot of things, but like, so the job yeah. that I came off of from 2013 to 2020, so almost the magical seven, it was like six and a half because the pandemic. I had gone and gotten a BFA and then I got, and then I, and I went before that to Barnard and because my mother made me go to Barnard. I had to. It's a long story, but it's another one of those things. Like, you have to go Ivy League or Seven Sisters. It's like, okay, fine. So, and it was a good school. And I had Well, these are all, all pieces of your becoming. Yes, exactly. And now I feel like I've become, but I, I didn't know at the time that I was becoming. But now I can see that every single thing is a piece in the puzzle. You know, that's what happens when you hit a certain age, I think. If you have a little um, aware consciousness, like if you want to see, you know, and then you get the gray hair and you're like, oh, I see how the whole thing was a path exactly to here. It's amazing. And of course, it's like, okay, that's a tautology. Like everyone's on a path exactly to where they are. But, you know, I love where I am. So it's kind of cool to look back and I'm like everything that felt like crap and was horrible and was suffering was something I had to work through to become the person who can have what I have now and be who I am now. So I would never say to somebody young, like, oh, so it's all worth it, don't worry, and it's all whatever. But the fact is, like, if you do go through all the stuff that you go through and become resilient and find grace and find peace and find how to breathe, like learn how to breathe, you do eventually reach a place where it's not like that you don't have any problems anymore. It's just that it's like a little more easeful. And fun. I like that. Yeah. It's and fun. It, and then also, do you keep your body in relatively working order? Do you have any control over that, which a lot of people don't? So, anyway, my job was I got hired um, by the Department of Integrative Health Programs at the big giant urban medical center. And, uh, and I just started like at the, you know, at the bottom and kind of learned, you know, how to work within that first it was in care management and social work, then it became in a nursing in the nursing department, which works really, really well, because you interface a lot of nurses. And I just started working three days a week, and I taught some yoga, but the most kind of um, deep and meaningful um, part of it is that I had the honor to go into patients' rooms by not just wander in, but we would get a consult order from um, a, a medical practitioner, a nurse, someone, you know, would put in the order that this person um, has pain, anxiety, or insomnia. And so the somebody from the department, um, there were a couple of massage therapists, an acupuncturist, and everyone else's nurses, and one social worker. Like brilliant, great, wonderful, very loving and caring, mostly with master's degree. I think all master's degree people um, who just wanted to like 
hearts and hands with people who are ill, right, in the hospital. So I started with adults, and we would go in and we would do um, hospital patient-appropriate modalities like Reiki, um, M technique, which is um, a very gentle. I've, it's been described by a physical therapist friend of mine as massage for your nervous system. Like it's, it was created by a woman named Jane Buckle, who's a PhD. Um, she did aromatherapy and this M technique. Um, she's a PhD nurse who became a massage therapist because nursing touch wasn't doing it for her. And then massage therapy tests were just too hard. So she invented this M technique. I don't know what M stands for. So it's not massage, but we called it like hand massages, foot massage, but it's M technique. Um, and we would do guided imagery and kind of yoga nidra, but we didn't call it yoga nidra, we called it pro progressive muscle relaxation. So stuff like that. And I, I had the honor to do that for a year and then, or a little more. And then I got hired into a special children's hospital within the big hospital to do a whole, and then, and then over the years, it became this whole program where I just kept adding things. So I was extremely tired and burnt out by the end because it was all, I was the only one, the only pediatric integrative health practitioner I handled. Wow. It was like there was one pediatric chaplain and we were very close friends, we still are. And he did all the pediatric chaplaincy. I did all the pediatric integrative health. I started out, I gave massages to the parents of the children in their sick rooms in their hospital rooms, which is like, you will never meet a more stressed out human being than especially the mother of a sick or dying child for, of course. Right. So yeah. I, I would put my hands on that person and I created like a little shoulder, back, neck, suboccipital massage routine that just in five minutes got your stress, like a little, like the physical part of the stress ameliorated so that you could at least be, super unhappy or freaked out or whatever it was without your shoulders hurting you so and that felt really great to do and then over time I started collaborating with one of the doctors who got an integrative health fellowship um, with Dr. Weil out in Arizona and she came back and we started doing um, I under her supervision I started doing um, Reiki on some of the kids mostly in the um, palliative care program the pediatric palliative which isn't for dying only it's for it's pain management program so and I um probably the highlight then of my career with that was giving Reiki to this very special little girl like while she was dying while she was leaving um, the planet from um leukemia and I became very close with her mom and very very special person and you know like we try to have boundaries with patients and families of course but I was just blown away by her grace and I wanted to spend a lot of time with her so we get to know each other well. And then, you know, that, and then I would teach adaptive yoga to staff and nurses. I did a lot of work with nurses, um, a lot of collaboration with the chaplaincy and social work. So it was a very, very rich experience by, you know, how, and the work was amazing. The work was like one of the greatest gifts of my life, but the job was just uh like killing me it it was all the politics it could have been bank of america as far as the politics of the corporate you know like it's a corporation with right. all the rules and you had to like have all this like politeness that was so fake in in terms of like hierarchy it was super hard for me i had a really hard time with that like it's interesting from life. my perspective what i'm hearing too is this trajectory of going from that somebody to nobody yes 
through service. Mm -hmm. It's what it sounds like. Well, in a way, like you're, you yeah. were doing this very loving, very present witnessing people at their most vulnerable. It sounds like. Well, simultaneously having my ego broken down. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'm curious then about this concept of service, because you and I have talked about that yeah, before. Service, yes. And I, I just wonder if that's a thread that carries through to other work that you're doing now. And I, have you thought about that in any other ways? Now that you're outside of that system and that hierarchy. Uh, yes, 100%. So um, that's another one of those things where I look back on my life over the past 20, 30 years and go, oh, I see. Like, this is what was going on. This, I was being tenderized for this purpose, you know? Um, so and again, of course, it goes back to childhood where both of my parents are incredibly service-oriented people. Like my mother okay. still is, she's 85, she still volunteers, you know? And so my dad was in service in a certain way his father came and started a, a little store like very often like kind of how the korean um, families are starting stores in new york or like a bodega but like so this was like what the jewish immigrants of that time of like the 1910s 20s 30s whatever okay. they, they were doing this um in east harlem so that's where my dad grew up and so he always helped out in his father's store and there was always this extremely deep um kind of ethic of customer service and also presentation was really important like he would talk about how he would spend time like lining the cans up just the right way because that was proper so my dad was really into correctness and thoughtfulness and properness and doing things which is hard when you're a child and when you're like a wild child or whatever but you want to just be free and play which is why i always like cape cod best but like you know, it was looking back like a very good ethic to be ingrained in is that you do it, you do it right, you do it so it's beautiful and you serve the customer. Like it's, I'm not right, the customer's right. What can I do for this customer? If the customer's a jerk, you still serve the customer but you do it with correctness and properness. You don't, you don't have to be too warm but you don't not do the service, you know? So that was my dad's like very um, earthy kind of ethic of service. And my mother is a Pisces and a social worker and her service is like, she's all like, she'd be a bhakti yogi if she was a yogi. Like she's very heart centered. Like, Somebody's hurting somewhere and needs me. I have to help them, you know? And she always was with like the little wounded, whatever, very needing of care beings and the hurt and you know putting all heart into it her so her ethic of like give 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 and serve and love and give the love is um very powerful in me so there's like the give and serve and love in a very proper correct way with good boundaries is kind of what i take into massage as a okay. therapist is like pour your heart into it with really good boundaries and very correctly and very proper. And there's a proper way to dress. And there's a, my dad, right? Proper way, proper um, way to present yourself, proper way to communicate, proper way to serve. Like it's a very, almost like, I, I relate really well to like the kind of Zen service where you're like, 
bowing and you have a you have a routine and a kind of like we do the napkin this way and then we put the tea that you know that kind of ethic when i'm giving massage so i that's what i would do in the hospital is i would be able to walk into a room where the like heartbreak was thick you know at, like sorrow and walk in and approach the mom and be like hi my name is amy i'm a massage therapist would you like a little shoulder massage get out with the stress and and offer that almost like in this really impersonal but loving way yeah like, I'm here to be like ah oh, or get into your business or anything i'm just here so that when i leave you're gonna feel better physically and it was like very clear and I got that from my dad and then the love I got from my mom. So it feels very inherited and very like synthesized. And I feel like almost like the two of them were opposites in a lot of ways. And although my dad was like a total big hearted Kinsarian mush, but like, you know, you had to get to know him to, he was a street kid too, so you wouldn't show it. Well, it sounds like you drew on big parts of what they showed you and you could em emulate them and bring it into your life and your world well, what but if it's like yeah i'm sorry go. oh no go ahead well i mean it, it doesn't feel like i did it on purpose it just feels like osmosis like well I it's interesting then to me because what i'd like to talk about next yeah. is when you came to a moment in your life that you shared with me very early on in our relationship uh which i was so grateful for mm. when you got to this point in your life uh, approaching menopause and there was no structure Ugh. there there wasn't anything there for you necessarily that you could draw on and do you want to talk a little bit about that and what you what you did with that sort of void in a way yeah thanks heather these are the best questions and i i hope i'm doing like I feel you're like doing I'm great rambling away it's it's so neat it's like you're providing a cup and i'm just pouring myself into it it's so cool, but I'm seltzer right now. I'm very bubbly. So I'm a little bit unique in that um, I've been married twice, but I haven't had a child. I didn't become a mom. And, and most women in our culture do become moms. But um, as Elizabeth Gilbert wrote, there's always like kind of a 20%-ish group of women who are like the good aunties, the loving aunties. And it's part of our culture. It's part of our um, tribally there's supposed to be some extra women to take care of everybody and just be there, you know? I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah. She wrote, I, I'll try and find, I don't remember which book she wrote it in. I think it was Commitment. Um, but she wrote a lot about it because she's also like somebody who never had kids. And so a woman who's never had kids in our culture, um, you go a little bit on a different path than women who have, you know? And women who have had kids, it's like much more like, maiden life stage mother life stage clone life stage and menopause is a time when you're like okay i'm not gonna have more kids um and and it's just kind of um in our culture so that's one thing where where when you kind of go through without having a child you don't get the big life stage commemoration of like i'm giving birth i'm going through this whole portal from this life stage to that life stage so kind of women who don't have kids like i would include us although you could still who knows you're young enough you could do it but if you want it but you don't have to 
You don't have to. No, I'm, I'm with you. I'm, yeah, 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 but you know what I'm saying. And, I, and I'm, I'm still, right now I have lots of little uh, nieces and nephews who are not mine, but call me auntie and I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Amazing. And it's, there's something really beautiful about the auntie being that person, being that ancillary. Again, it's like serving, you're serving the greater family. You know, it's like, there's always someone who can babysit. There's always someone who isn't stressed and wants to give the kid some extra attention and attunement, you know? I, so, I mean, I got like a huge amount of attunement with my aunt who was older, older than my mom by quite a bit. It was very maternal and loving, but didn't have kids. So, um, so my life path has been, uh, I look back and I was, so I was starting to like really go now it's like really intensifying, but I knew, I knew it was starting perimenopause, um, last year. And I was looking over the course of my life and I was thinking, well, what kind of big initiation rites have I experienced? You know, I mean, I went to school, but then there wasn't any kind of special initiation happening then. And um, people from the, I'm, I'm not like religiously Jewish, but I'm very culturally that, you know, I come from that background and emerge out of that ancestry. And there's a bar mitzvah and now there's a bat mitzvah, but I didn't do that because I, I didn't feel it. And wasn't, didn't want to go into a life of Jewish religion necessarily for myself. And I knew that at 13, although, so I didn't do that. And then, you know, I got married and it was like a fancy wedding, the first wedding, but then I get divorced, but then I didn't have kids with him. So that was that. And I was like, you know, when did I, I didn't have like a baby in which there was this big like crossover into a whole new life stage. You know, I've just been kind of continuing and now I'm crossing over into a big life stage. And, and, and I was like, wow, I'm crossing over to this big, huge crossover life stage. It's the biggest crossover since when I was a teenager. I didn't really commemorate it or do anything special when I was starting being a teenager when I was 13. Why don't I find something really special and commemorative and meaningful to do uh, on the other side of it when I'm going like reverse menopause feels like reverse teenager. Like you go through Does it? intensification of hormonal stuff and more and more and more and more and more. And then hopefully it wanes, you know, it's getting better in the country because I'm more getting more fresh air and exercise. So that helps. But yeah, it does. It's like, it's like ballpark seven years of like intense chaos and hormonal change and you're going to a whole other life stage. And I thought like, wow, there's nothing in our culture because we don't celebrate growing old in our culture. First of all, no one in this mother worshiping culture and not, I love mothers. Mothers are awesome, but we worship motherhood, you know, motherhood and apple pie and the flag. And, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying like, wow, you know, big, huge worshiping. Worship to the, in the sense that on a that's all there is in a way. Well, like we focus on it so much that we don't pay attention to the other stages. Well, I mean, there's three-ish life stages for women, right? You get to be a maiden, huge celebration of a beautiful maiden. And then you go into, then you're supposed to become a mother. And so you go into mother stage. And then you're kind of done as far as our culture is concerned. There's no celebration of becoming an older lady, a crone. It's only like, well, your boobs will sag and you won't be looking good to President Trump. And, you know, he and no one will want you anymore. And no one will all want of those, you, which is such bullshit. 
And in fact, since I've been growing my hair, I've been getting more, the gray hair, more scopes, more, more checks out. Cause it's like, it's like shiny, you know? It's like, Beautiful. It's authentic. You know? I mean, and I, and it was like not there when I was dyeing my hair. I was just this like old, unattractive, meh, 50th, whatever, like middle age. But now that I'm just kind of like embracing aging, I'm glowing and more beautiful and more shiny and guys look at me as, and I don't even care. I'm like, I don't know. I don't care, but it's nice. I got over it, but it's nice. So the point being like, there was nothing, there was no like fanfare, heraldry, heraldry, like do, 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 yay, we're going into a new life stage. It's a whole big thing. And yes, it's hard. And yes, there's loss. And now we're sad that, you know, we're not going to be able to have babies, but geez, you know, what a load off not to get your period every month too. Like the creative energy rushes upward and you become so much more like, energized in certain ways like I loved the periodicity of menstruating but it's really nice to have the freedom to like not even freaking think about it and just you know be free and so so then I decided well what I'd like to do is I'm going to create like there were things that I felt like were missing like one thing was like in the other life stages you do it with your cohort you do it with your other women friends like you have a baby they have a baby shower you have a wedding you have a wedding shower you have a bridal party you know your little girl you have you know whatever like parties all the time it feels like let's all be with our girlfriends and be happy but you know like you go into older age and there's no big party to go like wow you finished out that stage now you're doing another stage like now you're deepening into wisdom now the now the, all the energy that was centered around your womb is going to float upward and you'll have it available for your heart and your mind and your dreams you know and your power to manifest is going to increase multifold like nobody comes to you and goes do 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 yay you know <laughs> nobody and, even talks uh, about that they're really. all like well your you know your vagina is going to dry up and I'm like well so take some black cohosh right you're okay i mean under a doctor's thumb now like i mean you know those who believe they might be allergic to black coach should certainly not take my advice and take black coach but like you know what i mean but like a nurse practitioner friend of mine at work um nikki she's brilliant she's a younger woman and she walked in one day and she goes uh so is your vagina dry now that you're going into menopause and i was like no nikki it's pretty juicy still and she's like well you know if you should need it there's black cohosh will just juice you right up or like and that was essentially our conversation because she's so cool. And she was in nurse practitioner school. She was all excited about it. So then I bought some black coach and it's worked well for hot flashes. But now you know a little more than you ever wanted to know about me and my body. But anyway, the point being, I know we're going somewhere. And the point is so that I decided I wanted to do a ritual. So what I just, what I kind of called upon was, you know, heart and soul and artistry. And I really wanted women all my female community i wanted to come out with it i didn't want it to be some secret thing that you couldn't talk about that is like a, a shameful now i'm drying up and becoming all like haggy and crony and and never gonna bleed again and i can't have babies so i'm useless throw me on the trash pile it was more like let's do something that in in and like what you were saying before kind of like started me off on the artist path again which is exciting so what I did was I, I first I made a list of all the women that I wanted to be in my circle. And I was imagining it was virtual before the pandemic. 
but it was it was all like in the virtual world because all the women I wanted involved were in different places. And it just so happened when I made my list of like 10 or 12 women um, that there was at least one woman in every decade of adult female life, except for 90, I went up to 80. So there was um, like my dear friend, uh, Anita, who I've known since we were in youth group together, who's one year older than me, has a daughter who had just turned 18 and was going off to college. And I was telling Anita about the project and saying, hey, would you be involved in it? And she said, sure. And Megan was sitting next to us and she was like, oh, well, could I do it? And I was like, never occurred to me to share this with an 18 year old girl. But I said, but sure, you know, yes. So that was this list. And I bought pink paper and pink envelopes and flower stamps with like love on them. And a, and a whole range of pink paper products and pink stampers, so I could stamp flowers and things. And what I did was I sent each woman who agreed to be involved uh, an envelope and in the pink envelope, of course, pink for like femaleness, like my, my inner child likes pink. And then of course, you know- It's very bright and vibrant pink, yeah. Well, and it's also like body tissue, like, you know, the womb and the, uterus and the vaginal uh, tissues and the whole, like all that stuff that lest we dast not speak of is pink, you know, ish or brownish or beige, depending on your body. But like, I guess like the bias here is like, we were all mostly, I guess we're all white women. There was one uh, Hispanic woman and that's, you know, a whole other topic of the limitations of my social circle, but um, you know, which I'm trying to make better now. So what I did is I sent, um, a self-addressed stamped envelope in the envelope for people to mail me back. And I wrote four little pieces of paper and one, and it was, um, gosh, help me out here. It was, uh, what wisdom would you give me from yeah. your life? Which was amazing getting it from an 18 year old and getting it from an 80 year old, you know, what wisdom would you, uh, give me? what blessing give me a blessing so write me the wisdom that you've accumulated in your life what do I, what should i know bless me write me a blessing and then ask me any question you want the answer to and some of them were amazing um and or you know ask me for my wisdom because now that and that was sort of the initiation that part of it where i'm becoming an elder so i should be giving wisdom so ask me anything you want to know, ask me for wisdom and I'll give it to you. And the other was uh, ask me for my blessing. What do you want blessed? And so I thought it would be really neat for me to transition into elderhood, being asked for wisdom and blessings and then being showered it upon me. And, and, and everybody, everybody, almost everybody did it. Like a 90% return rate is very high if you're working in business, right? So I got a really good return rate on my project. And um, it was just wonderful. And then I created a vision board where I um, put all of everything that they put back. So I had this big profusion of pink wisdoms and blessings all around my vision board. And I put that up in my bedroom. And so as I have gone deeper and deeper and deeper into menopause, like I haven't gotten my period now for like, probably six months or so like it, there was one at the beginning of the pandemic back in April and that's been it um 
and you never know, like you have to go a year without your period in order to be menopausal woman. So I'm still perimenopausal, but you know, I started having hot flashes. Like my 55th birthday came, I got a hot flash and that was it. And the summer was hot and I was very sedentary because I'm in Brooklyn in a pandemic, but, uh, but it, it's like, oh my gosh, right on schedule. How amazing, you know, whatever. So I've, it, what it allowed for me to do is start to um, enjoy the process and be less scared. Like, cause I can, it opened up conversation. Like I had great conversations with my older cousin who's in her sixties all about like, well, when her last period came and what it was like and what was happening and, you know, her circuit. And it was an amazing story. It was so great. It's like private, obviously, but like, it was a great story. And then um, talking with my mom about her background and talking with young women about like, oh, good to know, like things and what are you, and, and so it became like this sort of like big celebration in my life and a big, um, it was out. It was like a, a coming out of like, this is happening. I'm not going to hide it. I'm not going to be ashamed. I'm not going to pretend I'm young and still could have a baby when I'm not young and could have a baby. And that's okay. It's not like a stigma to age, you know? It's not a stigma to age. It's just nature. It's what happens. Let's not freak out here. Let's like in, be grateful and enjoy it. And, you know, so I've been able to transition into becoming an elder and it's an honor. I love that, you know, here you are, what, I guess, 15 years younger than I am. And, um, you know, I feel like I'm available. If you had any questions for an elder, I am one. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I have people who are elder to me who I go to. Like, I have friends in their 60s and 70s and my mom and who's 85. And, like, I think it's really important to have people to go to who've been there already and aren't suffering over it, you know? When I like that because it was built into the ritual you created, there was this support and this line because you had people from all ages or women from all ages and you made it open for communication. So all of these women now know it's okay and safe. Mm -hmm. They could go to you or you can go to them. Oh. And it's just, it's amazing. It's beautiful, I think. And well, and that is what, an elder is supposed to provide for her community, for her people, for her tribe. You're supposed to help the people coming up behind you know, at least in a ballpark way, what to expect and how to go through it in a grace, graceful and gracious manner. Like if I'm not modeling for those coming up behind me, how to do something in a way that has grace in it not every single thing but like a body thing that we all have to do like you know kind of what good am I as a as a as a being in my community it's like if I don't if I don't get brave enough to embrace aging and elderhood then I then I miss out on a really great life stage opportunity to turn around and um, nurture the women behind me so it's not a weird, scary thing to go into menopause. It can be super uncomfortable, but there's herbs for that, you know? And I love that. And to, it's like to be the person that 
you didn't have maybe growing up that idea like I want to be that person for other people that I needed when I was a certain age or time and 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 that opens up even a whole other um topic I think that's really important which is because the world and our whole path of history has been so fraught with trauma and reaction to trauma and we've been so wrapped up in reactivity to trauma and not just like actually living and responding to what's maybe doesn't have to be so traumatic if you're lucky enough to work through and heal to a certain point then you can turn around and say to other people hey this is like the non-trauma reactive way to go through something Mm. because i i i worked through it in me and now i can turn around and maybe give my hand to other people and it's not that i didn't have a role model in this because it wasn't provided and i should have it was that the world itself is thawing out now and is opening up now and we're rediscovering that there's a whole revolution going on like the facebook group of the women who are growing their hair in gray it's called silver revolution you know and it's like it's it's we're all waking up and we're saying like wow look back at all the trauma that we have epigenetically ancestrally you know that there isn't anyone who can say you know hey let's pick up the thread of the life path that got you know burnt out of us and beheaded out of us and traumatized out of us and literally tortured out of us um here's the thread you have to be someone who picks the thread up and then you pass that thread because we have to retie all the threads now that and somebody said this to this woman who I was um, talking with on Zoom, and she had been reading Eve Ensler's book about her cancer journey. Uh, I forgot the name of it. It has, it has the word body in it. And um, she was saying it, it's like the reason that the people now who are so violent and so angry about the evolution and change in our culture, their the reason why they have to become or they believe they do is so terrorizing and violent about it and have guns and militia and fight is because they're going against the tide. It's not like I'm mm. doing it. It's just happening. You know, the earth is healing herself. Everyone's waking up. We're all going like we have been traumatized. You know, when the Romans marched into our European village and took I'm talking about like, you know, the Jewish history is a little different, but for a lot of like Celtic people, for example, or whatever, you know, it's like the Romans marched into our town where we were being like, you know, Druids and tying bows on trees and dancing around Beltane and, you know, whatever. And they came and they took all the men and they, you know, raped all the women and they pissed on the sacred grove. And then we were traumatized and we came to America and we traumatized all the people here. And then we imported people from, Africa to traumatize and we're all a bunch of like traumatized freaked out beings thinking that we know what the hell we're doing we're all on autopilot I'm not I mean I'm generalizing obviously but then to be able to get to a point where you can say wait a minute now you know probably the way that I'm 
I've been taught to hate old women and hate aging mm. and hate that my body is not that of a 20 year old anymore it might have more to do with capitalist patriarchy than it does with absolute reality and nature. Why don't I like take a pause and take a breath and like ask myself, you know, what is what I want? What's real? What, what happens if I slough off all of the traumatic like coding of wanting to be safe and liked and fit into this culture and let it go and let go of the eating disorder and let go of the self-hatred and let go of the body dysmorphia after work for years and years you don't just let it go no one does that that's not what i'm saying <laughs> why don't i work my ass off for 30 or 40 years then let it go and but then like why don't i then you know embrace what's actually happening and you know it's so much easier in life to embrace what's actually happening than it is to fight like it was so much work to color my hair. I had to cut it to tiny, tiny pixie hair so I could color it. And it was cute and I looked cute, but and no one thought I was 55. They all thought I was 40 and treated me accordingly. And now that I have the gray hair, I'm getting so much more respect and it's really a lot more fun. And I look more sexy, bizarrely. It's just, I didn't make this up. I'm just telling you what's going on in the world. You know, it's weird, but cool. So that's my ritual. Thank you, Amy. Thank you for sharing and for sharing that Thank amazing so wisdom. And I love how you tied it all into the bigger yeah. picture as well. Um, because for me, it's things that us as individuals can do to affect change when I think many people feel like they don't know what to do, they don't know where to go. It's maybe feelings of powerlessness due to that traumatization you're talking about, or so many things. But there's this resilience and hope in your message yeah. that I'm hearing and these things that are very practical, but also beautiful and art. If you work your ass off, none of this is easy. Sure. It's not easy. It's, you know, year, in my case, years of crying in a therapist's office years of um like getting feedback from the external world that i just nope not right yet nope nope gotta fix it and so what i wanted to say before also about service is i have been very fortunate in my life path to um encounter integral yoga institute and swami Satchidananda and his guru swami shivananda and then also the the whole other path of also yoga, um, Maharaji Baba Neem, you know, Neem Kurli Baba and Ram Das and all in that whole pathway and Hanuman and Ganesha who are there, you know, people like there's Ram and there's Shiva, but like all of this whole um, world of yoga and this and what Patanjali sutras teach and what the what the gurus themselves have taught. Um, have penetrated very deeply into me. So studying um, Raja Yoga, studying this, the Yamas and the Niyamas, and really trying to learn that stuff, and really reading deeply into Patanjali Sutras, things like, um, I'll say in Sanskrit, Pratipaksha Bhavana, which is, you know what it is. Um, and it, and it, my understanding of it is, it's like, you, there's always a positive way to look at things. You can always take whatever it is, and turn it around to look at it in some way as 
that's a gift that you can learn from and something valuable. But the problem with having these beautiful teachings uh, and the problem with somebody who's already done the work and is telling you from the, from the old age with the gray hair, you know, I can't say I'm middle age because then I would live to be 110. I have to say I'm early old age, which is humbling because I'm still like energized, but you know, you know, from that, from that place, I can sit here and I can tell you, yes, you just have to turn it around for the positive. Yes. Really just look, find what the thing is. That's the real thing and go for that. And don't be ashamed of who you are and embrace. Blah, blah, blah. And it's useless and terrible for me to say this to you because if I say it to you and you don't understand that the only way to get to that place of light where I can sit here and go, yes, I do live this way now. I do embrace these teachings is you need to go very, very, very deep, equally deep. And unfortunately people with a lot of light, you have an equal amount of shadow. Whoops. Uh Oh, they don't tell you that, <laughs> but like you have to go really, you don't have to do anything, but if one wants to get to this kind of place of service and joy and self-acceptance, the way into the light is through the shadow, as everyone knows. Jung wrote, you know, it's not like a big secret, but people act like, what do I have to go through the shadow for? The shadow is too scary. But then I think we get into this silly thing in our culture of like, well, you have to choose either love or fear. And I just think that's just, but wait, why can't you just say fear arises? It must have a purpose, you know? Everything arising has some kind of purpose of some sort. It's some part of me that I need to look at. If you're not willing to go down into the metaphorically into your darkness and go into that darkness and face whatever's in there and heal it inside oneself, you cannot have that light without the darkness always pulling at your coattail going, but me, but me, but me, but me, wait, I need attention. And it will pull you down and it will, you know, ruin everything until you work it through and bring it into the light. And then you're free. Then you have freedom and it never stops lest you ever think it stops. It does not. It just gets a little less. Um, it freaks you out less when you're older because you've been through it before. You can be like, oh yeah, this is a whole lot like that other time that this thing happened and it worked out and I was okay. And you've also gone through enough, when one reaches late middle to early old age, there have been enough very scary, awful teetering on the edge of, wow, this is irreversibly bad situations where, or, or dark nights of the soul or broken heart or really being just, you know, so lonely, so sad, so shredded, so in the dark, not knowing where to turn, et cetera. You've had so many of those, if you're really alive, that you, and then you've gotten through it, that you know, I know that I can get through it now. Like, I'm not in doubt over whether, you know, the God forbid worst possible thing could happen, and I would still probably be able to have myself with me. I'm not sure how I would hold up under torture, like really bad torture, but I hope I never have to find out. But in ordinary life of like 
you know, my best friend right now is living with a terminal illness. My husband, who I love tremendously, the, the flip side of loving someone is, you, you know, one of you is going to lose them. That's just how it is. You, fall, you commit to that. You go all in and all heartedly and whatever. And one of you, it's going to end up unless you die at the exact same moment, which like, you know, that might not happen. So one of us is going to go through that. But I think both of us can love so much now. And because we're, I mean, I know, I can speak for Rob, but like, I know that I, I, I'm not going to fall apart. I'm not going to crumble. I'm not going to end up. I know I've been through enough grief to know it more or less when you're grieving someone you really, really love. It lasts about seven years ish you know i know certain things now that will help me when and if and i mean i'm sure life is going to bring suffering because that's how it is but like when the thing happens i'll have me with myself you know and it's and that's been a lot of work and it's been really hard and i recommend going through the hard work because it comes out well when it reminds me of the first um yoga teacher training i did the teacher at the time said, all you have to do is heal yourself. And me at the time was like, you're ridiculous. Don't be ridiculous. How do you even do that? And through going through lots of different healing modalities and work as well, um, I realized at some point, like, oh, all you have to do is heal yourself. And you can't do that alone. You need all these other supports and teachers and therapists and it depends too on where you are in the world and what your access is to other uh, people who Mm -hmm. have these gifts to share and that's part of what I love about this new offering here is hopefully people have listened today and have gained wisdom through you and through your life story and all that you Mm -hmm. have been so generous to share with us. And you're such a good listener and you ask such wonderful questions. I mean, I know in, in our, in our friendship, I just, I feel like I'm always opening up and pouring out to you because you are just so receptive and interested and curious. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. And thank uh, you. I feel like we could go on and on. It's just such a lovely. Well, I think we could, but I think we should wrap up. Um, oh no. <laughs> the one part of this that I, I like to offer is sort of a plant spirit reading. Oh, cool. And it's interesting because I knew the topics we were going to talk about, obviously. So I thought a plant like elder, that tree was going to come through or blackthorn or, you know, the crone energy and <laughs> what is coming is oak. And Oh my God, Heather, you know, I'm living in an oak grove, don't you? I do, but I, yeah. I didn't make that connection, but oak is really, really strong. I don't know if it's for you at this moment or for this help collectively to have us move out of this uh, viewpoint we have of the elder and of the crone energy. And maybe it's helpful in having us transform and lift some of the veils of this uh, big transformation that we're going through right now collectively that, that you alluded to in so many levels. So Oak feels strong and like here is a very well, me, powerful yeah, ally. Tell me, tell me all about Oak. Like, what can you tell me about it? Oak. So Oak for me is, it's like my center and that could just be me, but 
it's such a strong tree and connected to the Druids and connected to Ireland in particular for me, um, as associated with lightning as well. And this like channeling of energy and oak is often the tree of life or the tree that you can journey through to go on uh, like a shamanic journey to receive information from other places, other worlds. Mm -hmm. And if you see it, often there's like the roots are the same uh, composition as the branches on a picture. And it's this balance of the so below and the as above and that gateway in between the two. This could not be more perfect. For exact, so we we are now living in our new house that we just bought. It's a it's a close to me all wood house in of clearing in the forest up a dirt road, and behind the house, um, which faces north, the back the back porch faces north. There's um, a, a mama oak, a beautiful, beautiful, stately, gorgeous oak, and around her is a clearing. And then around that are arrayed her sister's oaks. Like, it's almost like this, like, great mama, you know, tree, goddess tree in, in the circle surrounded by her court, you know, her, her sister oaks. And then there's, like, poison ivy and stuff all around the front where it's like, this is a special sacred place, a sacred grove with this incredible oak tree. And then of course, all like the little acorns and the squirrels frisking about and it's very sweet. It's a whole eco ecosystem out there. And I have started to um, kind of decorate the oak tree. And, and part of me feels like, don't bring any of your human stuff into nature. But, you know, I've already, the house is already here, you know, and, and, it's, and I and then I'm thinking back into those you know the Druidic tradition of decorating the the sacred tree, like some you can tell which tree is a sacred tree. Now I know that because my oak is a sacred tree, and uh, I'm decorating her, and I feel like I just really want to like tie ribbons on her with prayers and hang. I have all this little jewelry that I was like, why am I hanging on to this? But now I know it's to put on the tree. And I just, yeah, I feel like a big part of my life here is going to be additive to like decoration of this tree in the most respectful way I can. It's a relationship. Like, and you're going to help me, I think, because you'll, you'll, I will you'll, absolutely I will, you'll be like my nature interaction consultant. <laughs> Heather, how much, how many, uh, how, when does it become invasive to put, decorations on a tree how what it, when is it loving and serving and when is it just ego she'll so let you know help me. you'll help me yeah well we i'll help, help you but she'll let you know and definitely this house is like if there's magic stuff happening here in the woods and and yeah it's like this is was my dream that i've always dreamed of uh and oak is very present in this dream so i love that you intuited oak i think it's wonderful Thank you again so much for taking the time today. Oh, Heather, uh, thank you. Peace thank out. you, Amy. Thanks again to Amy Eberhardt for joining us. I hope that this podcast will encourage you to create ritual and the support you need or see missing for yourself and in your community. If you'd like to learn more about plant and tree spirits and how you can build your own relationship with a plant or tree, Check out my collection of short reads available on Amazon. If you feel called to offer an exchange in support of this podcast, 
you can do so at anchor.fm. Thanks for listening. Until next time, with love and magic.